find a comfortable position. Let's set our intention to enjoy our meditation, to deepen our curiosity and experience. feel the weight of your body on your chair or your cushion. the earth hold us, releasing our hold on ourselves. And noting any tension through our body Letting it dissolve as we breathe in and through it. Let's become aware of our body. Just noting things as they are. A warm feeling or a contracted feeling. quality of our breath, whatever comes to the foreground, let's make note of our bodily sensations.
and the quality of energy. Let's greet each of these sensations with unconditional welcome. And feel them directly. to the surface and then pass and another one takes its place. Now let's shift the focus of our awareness to sounds. Let's attune our hearing and see what we hear. much as we're able, let's try to let the sounds come to us rather than chasing out to them. 
Now let's shift again the focus to our body. Let's notice where the sounds fit in with that when we focus on our body. shift the focus again to sounds. And what's the interplay with bodily sensation? wide open to the sounds of the world. We let them go right through us. Offer no resistance. attention back to our bodies.
I invite us now to drop the distinction between outer and inner. And experience what that's like.
resting in intimate awareness without discrimination. like to raise any questions or share any experiences? Just a, a question about um, technique in meditation simply um, Theravada, Mahayana, and meditating with the eyes open or the eyes closed, and why there are two choices, kind of, and what difference might it make? The conventional wisdom in Zen is that keeping the eyes half open and unfocused uh, precludes you, lowers the chances of your falling asleep, uh, or becoming involved in a fantasy. Um, I'm not so sure about that, actually. I think uh, it's actually may not even be so bad to, to drift off from time to time, um, uh, as long as it's not a habit. And uh, it can be actually a reflection of quite a deep letting go. Um, I imagine that there are some Zen practitioners uh, who keep their eyes closed and Perhaps there are Theravadan practitioners who keep their eyes half open. Um, frankly, I, I don't think much about it. Uh, yeah, the, generally in the Theravada world, we sit with the eyes closed. Um, the uh, recognition being that the, or the, the methodology being that uh, based on the fact that the eye organ and, the, and visual perceptions are the most powerful of the perceptual field. That's why like in, in Buddhist psychology that when he goes through the six 
senses, the eye is always uh, the first uh, of the in the list of the the, the six. Chakuvin, uh, chakung is the eye. Rupa is the uh, visual object. So, because that has such a dominant effect on our on our world, then uh, the sort of distractibility of attention is considered that much greater through the eye. So, but you know, these are all just skillful means, and so that certainly it's it's the case that um, you can have the intention of of closing your eyes so that you can focus on your breath or or the other objects more. Um, acutely, but then it can also facilitate drifting off and being in a different world altogether. <laughs> so it's like any kind of tool that we use. You have to see what the effect is, what's the result of, of you using it. And, it. and so, you know, if if uh, one say, if I notice that I'm getting very sleepy, then I'll open my eyes just to to use that extra potency of the visual world to help perk up the attention. And uh, you can use it actually as a, if you know that you're, you're sleepy, as um, a very simple way of, uh, of, of using it is you take a visual object, say like this clock, and you use that as, as your meditation focal point. As soon as you get two clocks, you know you're drifting. <laughs> Basic. <laughs> One of the things that I haven't heard about today is uh, construction-free awareness or bare attention. And I'm just wondering if you have anything to say about how that might fit in with um, the seen only as the seen and the heard as the heard and that sort of thing. Could you say that phrase again in the beginning? Construction-free... Construction-free awareness or bare attention. Bare attention. You know, that um, that uh, quality is really what one is aiming at uh, establishing, developing and embodying really uh, with uh, um, most uh, of the um, uh, standard form of, of meditation in Theravada and I think also in, in the... Um, Zen tradition, what they, they talk of as a serene reflection, or um, the, the just just sitting, whether there is a, a like an open attentiveness and the mind not fixed on a particular object, and uh, so we you know, one would use the uh, ordinary meditation objects, say as we were just then using the physical sensations of the body or the quality of sound or or very commonly the rhythm of the breath just uh, as a way of establishing attention in the present moment you know that that's, that, that is uh, the precursor to any kind of, of um, genuine un, uh, un, uh, uh, unbiased awareness is that you've got to bring the attention to the present and not be drifting off into fabrications about the past and the future or, or just conceptually woven uh, realms so that there needs to be a genuine attentiveness to the, the actuality of the present 
And then, when that's established, then letting go of the individual objects like the physical sensations, of, you know, sensations of the posture or sound or the rhythm of the breath or, or say, a visual object like your clock. You know. <laughs> and so then, uh, with that attention established in the present, then letting go of the objects and just establishing the mind in uh, an, an open, unbiased awareness. Um, and so that uh, as, as that's developed also in, in the, uh, initially that, that's established with a, 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 almost like a distinct witness con- consciousness witness like there is a, a, a witnesser who is witnessing the flow of events but then also then the, uh, as again the, the attention becomes more keen and the, the mind is uh, more refined the, and the, the wisdom that much clearer then the, the, the feeling of the witnesser or, and the meditator becomes seen as other objects which are also arising and ceasing and are, and are not self. And so that, and as I was describing this morning, you, you, there's a, like a, a shedding of layers of, of attachment or identification around uh, perception, around emotion, around intentionality, uh, uh, around doingness, and even around uh, location, so you. But you, you, uh, you have to work your way into those levels. It's like you know you can't get to the pancreas unless you've gone through the through the uh, the, you know, the the skin and the muscle and the and the gristle to get there, you know, or, or down through the through the uh, esophagus and so on, because it, you can have the idea. I mean, rather like like you were, uh, Roshi uh, Joseph was quoting Masao Abe. You know, nothing is not just something that's called nothing. And and if you really want a, a, an in-depth analysis of that, um, Nagarjuna is the preeminent uh, surgeon <laughs> of uh, of those, that kind of dimension. Because uh, it's very easy to take the idea of non-dual awareness or um, unbiased open awareness and that becomes an idea I am practicing um, this thing and so uh, and, and it, it comes in under that heading under that rubric here I, I am practicing choiceless awareness and then all kinds of other, of other stuff have come in as well but they've all sort of crept in under the choiceless awareness blanket <laughs> And it's actually me doing some practice to get some result, uh, and uh, that all of that can can be there. And there really isn't a choiceless awareness at all. There's actually a lot of me, uh, a lot of choosing, and a lot of you know, discrimination going on. So, uh, in a way, that it's it's important to establish the basics of of uh, clarity of attention in the present moment, and then. Uh, Shedding the various different layers of, of habitual identification and, and clinging, rather because it's it's so easy just to take the idea or the principle, the concept of what of what's good, and then just find yourself cheerfully hanging on to the concept, 
and being a me who's hanging on. So, so putting a label on it such as I did is an impediment, perhaps? I can't, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. It, <clears throat> putting a label on it such as I did is, could be an impediment, then, is what you're saying. It can right? be, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just important to not mistake the, uh, the, the name on the box for the candy. <laughs> I'd like to just uh, echo that uh, that in Zen, our version of this practice, which is shikantaza or just sitting, is actually one of the most challenging practices. And uh, I cringe when I hear people describe, you know, going to a Zen center and being given that practice as their first practice. Just sit. I think it really takes some ongoing, ongoing practice to be able to even come close to that. And the meditation that I led us in is just a very crude attempt to generate some experience of it, of what it might feel like when inner and outer get juxtaposed and then dissolve. Um, it's also the kind of thing that that we, we learn by doing, by developing a, a felt sense of it. Uh, but it takes a, a good amount of concentration. And that may have been one of the elements you, you were trying mm-hmm. to describe. Uh, and, and that's why often concentration is, you know, the first practice in one form or another. Let's take this question and then we'll have Ajahn Amaro lead a meditation. The fellow in the green t-shirt of the penguin. When you were um, leading the meditation in the beginning, it felt, sounded kind of like what I know of Vipassana, Vipassana meditation. Right. Up until the point when you gave us the suggestion to sort of drop the distinction between the inner and the outer. Right. And at that point, I'd kind of got like blown away and trying, sort of like, what is, how do we do that? And I just got real intellectual all of a sudden. Um, what, can you elaborate on that? What is, what would be like a technique for doing that? Is, is there, or do you just kind of got to, is that just developing concentration or something? Or? Uh, well, I think Ajahn Amaro described you know, the sequence of, of the technique from the Theravadan point of view. Uh, Um, you know, we're talking about the realm of dhyana, the realm of of, of attention, cultivating attention. And uh, uh, along with attention is the element of insight or or prajna. And uh, I think it becomes easier to practice shikantaza or just sitting as our insight also grows about the nature of reality and about the relativity and the transience and the arbitrariness of these words, inner and outer. As Ajahn Amaro so beautifully said about the, the, the sharing of skin, the sharing of atoms and all of that, I think um, as those categorization, those categories through which we organize reality and perceive reality begin to lose their grip on us, I think the actual practice becomes easier. Um, I don't know that there's a one technique that will fit all. Um, 
I think the word drop was ill-advised, by the way. I think, uh, had I said something like, what would it be like if inner and outer themselves dissolved? And that might have been a more inviting word. I don't know. You can, you can play with that. I'm not even sure you said dropped. I might have no, said I did. That. I did. So, um, uh, you know, I think there are limits to, to, to technique. And, and, and frankly, the, the Theravadan Buddhists are much better at technique than, than the Zen people are. But um, is the shikantaza, is it sort of the, like an in insight meditation when you allow your object of awareness to kind of move around? Is that not, sort of what you were saying that you kind of are a little bit cringing at, that idea that, that you would do that right off the bat in like beginning meditation practices? Or? I like to, Ajahn Amaro used the word open uh, awareness. Uh, I like to also think of it as a practice of presence. So if you look at it from the positive point of view, you're, you're practicing pure presence. Um, Sure, there are objects that float across the screen, but there's, uh, there's no uh, clinging to them and there may not even be any identification of them. Uh, you know, there may not even be any noting of them. It doesn't mean they're not floating across the, the sky, but uh, it, it starts to tend toward the Dzogchen practice of the open sky kind of experience. Um, uh, I, I think I think to uh, to try to practice the practice of, of presence uh, is a challenging practice because our minds are very busy. We want an object to cling to, and uh, and we don't understand presence, you know, from the prajna point of view. So I think to throw people into that practice in the beginning and say just sit. I mean, these are a few horror stories. I, uh, I think uh, it leads to all kinds of uh, compartments in which the mind is involved in all kinds of business. And it's, it's not wholesome. It's not, it's not healthy. We're trying to maintain clarity and purity and uh, openness. But uh, in the basement, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So I think it can promote a kind of compartmentalization where we're going along with it at one level, but it's not really fully established all the way down. Um, so that's why I think this, this practice takes, uh, takes some nurturing. So if you're more like in your first year of doing meditation, would you suggest maybe coming up with one ob- traditional object like the breath or something and sort of just remaining right there as best you can? Oh, I almost never give shikantaza to a new student. I mean, almost never, pretty much never. Yeah, usually, I mean, I have to get to know the student and what their interest in, what their motivation is. But uh, usually it's some combination of concentration and and mindfulness practice. Uh, This practice of presence, I think, uh, is uh, is an acquired capacity. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I think uh, you know it, it harks back a little bit to the conversation we were having earlier about um, I forget the phrase you were using about um, relational psychological relational capacities. Yeah, like psychological that. relational capacities. Like there's a whole field of psychology, evolutionary psychology, which I, I found pretty interesting in recent years. Um, uh, <coughs> there's a, a book called The Moral Animal which is a, a very good read. 
And one of the, the things that's useful about that whole domain is just realizing just the depth of conditioning that, we, that there is in terms of our perceptual world. Like what we are sort of guided by and driven by. And basically how much we are animals. Yeah. <laughs> and that even though we have a, sort of, a fairly socially acceptable coating, uh, you know, basically, you know, you scratch the surface and we're, we're hunter-gatherers and scratch it a little bit deeper and, you know, we're still, you know, basically sort of reactive um, uh, mammals, you know, driven by, can I eat it? Is it going to eat me? Can I mate with it? You know, and it's sort of covered up with, you know, various sort of decorative curriculum vitae and... <laughs> strings of accomplishments and degrees and things but kind of it's <laughs> basically that's what drives us a lot and I think what, what uh, um, Joseph is, is describing is, is exactly that you know sometimes we can be un- completely unaware of, of how much we're really being uh, the, 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 the choosing is going on like I want I don't want that's bad that's good how dare they what are they doing how can they drive that truck by? And that's a sort of that um, that kind of uh, basic conditioning of having a sensory system: eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, thinking, mind. It's not really uh, acknowledging the depth to which that has an effect. And so that when you're trying to practice, say, um, uh, shikantaza or um, uh, bare attention or whatever one wants to call it or you know open awareness you know you've really got to be honest about what's going on otherwise it just becomes a vipassa think you know yeah, and the, the, the mind is really actually there's a lot of reactivity going on yeah my question I guess really is is I feel like sometimes you know for a moment probably like most people for a breath or here and there, you know, I can kind of grab that attention or that presence and be aware of it. And I guess my question is, I always wonder, is this what I should be trying to cultivate by this just this awareness coming back to it again and again? Yeah, or should I go on to an object? Well, the, the, the thing to get familiar with, I would say, is um, just really giving yourself to that quality of of focusing the attention, really assuming that you re- we really need to train our attention and a lot of effort uh, to just simply paying attention to the present moment and learning to see past and future are just constructs that, that happen in the present and just developing a, a, a lot of, uh, of uh, like if you're learning a musical instrument or learning a language, you just got to play those scales over and over and over until the fingers know where to go while you're having a conversation about something else it's like that, that quality of, of just, you know that, that the basic reaction to any kind of distraction is come back to the present. And uh, make that, a, a really developing that skill, developing that, that responsivity, so that, oh, distraction, wake up, is your basic response to any kind of, uh, of, uh, of uh, attachment, identification. And then, when that's really well established through mindfulness of the breath or... or mindfulness of the body, walking meditation, whatever it might be, uh, using a mantra, counting the breaths, which is also they do a lot in the Zen tradition. Um, that kind of thing, To then when that's really genuinely uh, got it, the result of, okay, we're here. <laughs> Hi. Hello, present. 
you know, we, here we are. Then, then, you, then that just letting that quality of genuine presence uh, be actualized, and then uh, seeing how how well that can be sustained, and then how easily it's eroded, and then slowly, I mean, more and more, cultivating a quality of being able to just let that presence be. Uh, 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 known in an ongoing and you know, continual way. But uh, I, I think the most important thing is just being honest about what we're experiencing. And if, the, if there's a huge amount of agitation and busyness, we'll just you know, lock down the anchors and, <laughs> and then use a meditation object. Because we get too idealistic. Like, well, I've been doing this for like five, ten years. I don't need to do Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing anymore. I don't need to count my breath. I mean, that's the kiddies. Yeah. Oh, that's like boy, that's, that's, that's kindergarten yeah. dharma I mean I don't need to do that that's embarrassing yeah. oh, I gee that. no no I'm just going to go straight for the you know, pure presence that's me <laughs> vajra or nothing you know <laughs> and then you just end up absolutely it's like a kind of absolutely. constantly deflating balloon bubbling around all over the place <laughs> you know totally wastefully and so that uh that's why pride is a big problem. <laughs> and just saying, okay, this is what's happening. It's stormy. Drop the anchor. Okay, and, you know, we're not going to we're not going to wind up on the rocks here. Great. Okay, storms down. Okay, lift the anchor. Let's float a bit. See where we go. So just being honest with what the condition is that's being worked with, and then not being proud and, and, and but yet when things are calm and, and steady okay well we don't need an anchor great just let's float and enjoy the sky just be here <laughs>